in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. Three brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, John Flack, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies, then talk about them. I'm your host, Russell Guest, and joining me today is my good friend and other host, Brian Fry. Brian, how are you? Good evening, everybody. Unless you're listening to us overseas, in which case, good morning, good afternoon, happy hour. Speaking of overseas, we have a guest who uh, is from the United Kingdom, England itself, Mr. Morell, Andrew Morell. Hello. How are you? Good evening um, and good morning if you're listening overseas. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, uh, let's get a little bit of a feel for your, your movie preferences and stuff like that. So what, are your, what kind of movies do you enjoy most? Definitely, uh, I'm into my action movies the most um i don't mind a, a little bit of a rom-com every now and again but and also I, I do like my horror movies as well um so i'm kind of on that side of the of the bench okay those are fantastic food groups <laughs> sure what was your uh first r-rated movie first r-rated movie um was probably chucky um, I remember I was very young. I was actually at my uncle's house and he had Chucky on VHS. And I was with my sister, who's actually five years younger than me. And um, she thought it was the worst movie she's ever seen, obviously. But uh, yeah, Chucky. Ah, <laughs> uh, man. Uh, I, I actually remember I got that one later than you did. Uh, and that still kind of scared me a little bit. Do you have a favorite British actor? So, obviously, you know, Daniel Craig is obviously a great, uh, a great one in the new James Bond movies. Um, I really like Judi Dench, who is in today's feature movie. Um, I, I think she's also fabulous. Uh, obviously, you know, Sean Connery is, uh, is from the UK and not necessarily English. Uh, but, you know, again, um, another great actor. Absolutely. Those are all good picks, and we're going to see some of them today. Before we get there, though, what's the last movie you saw? The last movie I saw, at least in the uh, in the cinema, I believe, was the Halloween uh, movie, which, okay, is, is, again, it's a follow-on from the original Halloween movie. It's not a remake, but um, it wasn't bad. It was okay. I liked it, yeah. Yeah. So, Brian, what movie were we going to do today? Uh, we are going to do the uh, – I, I want to refrain from calling it uh, a classic because it makes me feel old. But uh, the very first Pierce Brosnan Bond movie, Goldeneye. I'm excited to do a Bond movie. I, I This is uh, – you will probably catch on, but uh, I'm a big fan of the James Bond series. So Goldeneye comes out in 1995. It grosses $106 million, uh, so it does quite well in the box office. It comes in sixth uh, in, on the year. Uh, the movie placing ahead of it was Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls, which came in fifth, and Jumanji places behind it in seventh. If you're wondering what the top movie of the year was, it was Toy Story. IMDb rates Goldeneye a 7.2, and on Rotten Tomatoes, it's a 
bit more popular. The critics of Rotten Tomatoes give it a 78%, and the audience likes it even more and gives it an 83% fresh. Uh, it was nominated for two BAFTAs. And Andrew, if uh, people in America are not familiar, what are the BAFTAs? They are the British. Um, they're, they're British awards. I don't, I don't know exactly what the uh, what the full terminology is, but it's the British awards for uh, TV and movies. Yeah. Uh, I think it's acting, film, and television awards. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Thanks for uh, f- f- filling in there. Yeah. But uh, I-, I covered it. I think so. Very popular in England, and um, you know, it's it's kind of like our red carpet. Uh, event uh, in Britain. It also got nominated for Best Fight Scene and the MTV Movie Awards, so I can't think of a more prestigious honor than that, so... Interesting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, the British Academy of Film and Television Arts. So I was uh, I was close, but not quite there. I had to, I had to fact-check myself, but uh, I did catch myself there, so... GoldenEye, Andrew, have you seen it before? What were your expectations coming in this time? So... Yes, uh, I had seen it before. I would say I've probably seen it about four or five years ago. I guess that wouldn't have been the first time I've seen it, but probably have seen it four or five years ago. I guess coming into this and what you know, obviously making a choice and and going with with Goldeneye, um, watching it again, I kind of watched it with the knowledge of you guys are going to question me to death on it, right? So I'm kind of looking <laughs> for details. <laughs> And, you know, perhaps looking for things more than than I would usually look um, when watching a movie. Um, So, uh, you know, I think I definitely picked up on a lot of, you know, unique things that I probably wouldn't have noticed had you guys not uh, challenged me with this today. That's why we do it. So we can appreciate these movies in a whole new light. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think it's a good thing. What was your time, like when you took it in the first time, did you like it at the time? And then how has it changed as maybe you've studied it a little closer now? I, I, I definitely think when I first watched it, um, I was very young, you know, probably in my, in my early teens and probably, you know, at the time thinking, oh, wow, look at this. You know, we, we're talking about technology and, you know, th- you know bungee jump action, you know, just the typical male feeling of when you watch a James Bond, you really just want to be him, right? Um, and I think now as I watch it, I, I can really see why I wanted to be him, but in, in reality, that would never actually happen. <laughs> so maybe a reality check now. <laughs> oh, you don't want to be a double O agent anymore? I, I, would, I would love to be, but, but uh, you know, probably a little bit more realistic when I watch it. Okay. If anybody makes being a Bond agent look not as attractive, it's Daniel Craig. Like, <laughs> I was watching Quantum of Solace last week. And, I mean, just watching him in chase scenes, like, the guy beats the crap out of himself. Like, I remember thinking, like, that would have killed me. That would have killed me. That would have killed me. <laughs> Like, yeah, he just keeps exactly. going, man. He keeps Energizer Bunny it. And I was like, I don't want to be the Daniel Craig one. I want to be the one where he takes the elevator down smoothly, and then when the guy jumps off the roof, he gets shot in the head. Yeah, I want to drive a tank through a brick wall and then straighten my tie very neatly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or land on a plane <laughs> and, and adjust your cuffs like he exactly. does, I believe. Yeah, I, I, yeah. He's, he's, a, he's an amazing Bond. Um, I, know, I feel we'll like Daniel Craig... Daniel Craig just does everything the hard way. Yeah, yeah, 
Well, I got to say, if uh, somebody at our office, which, by the way, Andrew and I work together at, at A7, and I got to say, you would be James Bond, not because you're British, but because you're a sharp dresser, so. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you can aspire to uh, to him in other ways, right? You don't have to uh, you have to have to kill people and, uh, and and beat yourself up for it. No, you can just look good while you're doing it. Yeah, exactly. Brian, <laughs> Goldeneye, what's your background on this one? I I want to say that this is probably the gateway movie to the Bond universe for me. I'm sure I probably saw other Bond movies on one of the many seven, 007 days of Christmas or whatever that they do, uh, typically during the holidays. But this is the first one that I really like paid attention to, and it was a gateway to his whole world of James Bond. And after I saw this one, I went back and watched all of its predecessors. Um, I even want to say that this might have been one of the first DVDs I ever owned. And um, obviously the, the Nintendo 64 game was phenomenal. We played that to death. So I, I've got a very uh, warm place in my heart for, for this Bond. And uh, I still maintain that uh, Pierce Brosnan's career as Bond was wildly wasted on poor scripts. Mm. Uh, but this, was, this one's a gem. This is, mm. this is a quintessential Bond movie for me. Fun fact you did you know that uh, this was uh, the first james bond movie to come out on dvd uh that would make sense no it's a good one very cool for me close to brian i this was my first bond movie i did not see any bond before this and in fact it made such an impression on me i remember the exact point when i saw it i actually bought the video game for the nintendo 64 mm-hmm. beforehand and i played it and i really enjoyed it and uh somehow you might think that would spoil parts of the movie for me it didn't. In some ways, it made this thing that I liked better. It was like seeing a comic book version of it, but then seeing it, like, you know, brought to you in fresh color, and you see, mm-hmm. like, you know, the people aren't poly polygons; they're actually real people, <laughs> and uh, it just was so vibrant and exciting to me. I remember going over to uh, we slept over at a friend's house for a, for his birthday, and uh, Brian was there, Jamie Grant's birthday, and mm, uh, yep, yep. And uh, so I, I saw my first Bond movie uh, in the fall of 97. I was 12 years old. And it uh, after that, I absolutely was on the one at a time going to the rental store and looking for the next one. And I remember getting, uh, I guess, The Spy Who Loved Me was my second one and going like, well, this isn't Pierce Brosnan. Who is this? And then it, like, it, it occurred yeah. to me that so many people had played Bond that weren't that. My dad's like, yeah, it's Roger Moore. You know, he's good, too. Yeah. And then yeah. I got to just try. just checking ahead. Are we going to be ranking our bonds? Oh, that's got to happen. That's got to happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have my list. You know what? You said it. Maybe we should just go ahead and go for it now. And then, it. yeah. Andrew, do you want to give us the honor and run through your bonds? All right. He beats himself up. He's totally badass. I'm going with top guy uh, on this one, Daniel Craig. Um, he just he's just taken Bond to a whole new level. Um, you know, I, I have to say, um, probably my first Bond, like you guys, were, uh, you know, with Pierce Brosnan in them and all of his and, and this sort of techno CGI revolution that happened with James Bond and, and you know, how, you know, everything became sort of uh, about technology and cars and, and, and things changed. And, and I really have... 
uh, dear heart for for that era, the Pierce Brosnan era. But I just think uh, Daniel Craig is is number one for me, followed by uh, Pierce Brosnan um, again for that reason, and then Sean Connery. I think is uh, fantastic. Um, I would then probably go with Roger Moore, Timothy Dalton, and lastly George uh, Lazenby. A common last place, Brian. I, it's it's similar. Um, I really think Piers Brosnan is. I, if you take all the best parts of everybody who played Bond before him, I really think you get Piers Brosnan. Mm-hmm. Um, I it just his suave, debonair, like it just he just does it so well. And I'll admit, there's probably at least a forty percent bias given that I said this was this was a gateway drug movie for me. I watched a lot of Bond after this, like a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things that uh, we talked about before on the podcast. If it's on TV, I have them all on Blu-ray, but I'll stop and watch the one with commercials just because it's on TV. <laughs> so, I mean, it's it just, I don't know. I, I can't i can't say enough about it, but yeah, Pierce is my number one. I'm going to go Connery number two. I have a hard time with this one because – I feel like I'm doing it too much to say, okay, yeah, you were the original Bond. But, you know, Connery did set the standard for James Bond, so I will give him his uh, his number two moniker there. I'll go with Craig as number three. He very much modernized the Bond world to, like, every Bond kind of brings a new age to it, and, mm-hmm. and Daniel Craig is is kind of the, the new... Uh, he's more of a truck than a sports car. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. uh, and, and that's why I, uh, you know, he just, he, he does something a little bit different. Um, I'm going to put Roger Moore next, although I will tell you he is my least favorite actor as Bond. Um, mm. Roger Moore is the inverse of Pierce Brosnan, where he got the best scripts. I would love to see them do all of the Roger Moore Bonds with Pierce Brosnan. Like that would have, that would have just been better. Uh, but more just never did it for me. Uh, his movies are fantastic. Don't get me wrong. I'm not hating on watching the movies, but he is not my favorite bond. Uh, then I'll go Lazenby. I actually think that this movie gets crapped on way more than it deserves. It was the longest of the bond movies. And that was not a popular thing at the time. Uh, having a movie this long and the fact that he tries to settle down, just rubbed people the wrong way. Uh, but overall the movie wasn't that bad. Um, and then lastly, I go with Dalton. Um, I like Timothy Dalton, but I have never been able to really settle in with the idea of him as bond. Um, it just, it just didn't work. His movies were all right. They were super eighties tastic. Maybe (laughs) that's why I don't know. But, uh, yeah, Dalton was just one of those ones where, Again, I'll watch it if it's on TV, but it's rarely ones that I go and grab out of the CD case to watch. Interesting. So I'm going to be a little bit different. Uh, my number one is Sean Connery, and it didn't happen right away because, like I said, I, I came to Pierce Brosnan first, as I was mentioning, and then I got hooked on Roger Moore. I saw several Roger Moore movies, and I actually got to Connery a fair bit later than you would think. And my first take was that his movies were a little bit slower, but something that I appreciated with time that I went back and watched them more and more was not just that he set the benchmark for it, that I like his sense of humor in it. He's tough when he needs to be tough. He is smooth and he is also funny. And I like, I think those are all the things that a bond 
needs to be able to do on all of those things. So you got to be a gentleman, you got to be a warrior, and uh, you have to be uh, you have to you have to be good with the ladies. And so, um, so I think Sean is the strongest across the board on all of those things. And uh, it helps a lot that he's in a very stylish era. As Brian mentioned, somewhat you're going to be susceptible to when you do it, uh, when you play the role. And then for me, Roger Moore comes second. And again, he got six movies. Um, that ties Sean Connery, if you count the non-canon one that he did, Never Say Never Again. And it's the most if you don't count that. And so Roger Moore hits the humor well. He's smooth with the ladies. He's probably a little bit soft. Uh, in terms of a fighter. I think we can probably agree on that. Oh, but he really branded the judo chop. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was all Roger Moore. And so Pierce, to me, is my third. And I'll tell you that I really appreciate him because there's a hard thing that I had in my mind reconciling the difference in Connery and Moore. But Brian touched on something. He said, if you take everything from all the other Bonds, it's, it's Pierce. And... Pierce doesn't get credit for this because actually right now, because Craig is so popular, Pierce is often like, you know, crapped on right now saying like, oh, he wasn't very good right now. But if you go back and look at it, he takes the characteristics, the smart aleck nature of Connery, the smoothness of Moore, uh, but he's tougher than Moore. Like I said, I thought that Pierce bridged the gap of the bonds who had gone before him. And more than anybody, he solidified the character. And I'm not saying he stole what they did and made it his own. I think that he took it and brought it all together in a way that made it all feel cohesive to me. And I really appreciate that. I'll be honest with you. I think I'm more of a sucker for his movies than other people. So I like, I really like, you know, I really enjoy The World Is Not Enough and Tomorrow Never Dies as well as this. And yes, Die Another Day is outlandish, crazy, over the top. It jumps the shark. But I still, there's not a bad Bond movie for me. So I enjoy them all. Uh, So that brings me to Timothy Dalton. I, I like his movies, and I feel bad that, you know, as we'll touch on later, his uh, legal battles basically ruined his whole tenure as Bond. I think he we would appreciate him more had he gotten more runs at it, but I, I enjoy him. It wasn't a stylish time, and I think that that puts him at a disadvantage. And then uh, I go Daniel Craig uh, really? next. And the reason I don't think Craig is as good for me, and I've not enjoyed him in the role as much, is because he's, he doesn't have that sense of humor. He doesn't have that sense of charm. He wears the uh, victim of being like, I'm, I'm this hard drinker. I'm dealing with this troubled past. I'm, I, I'm, you know, burying all these issues. I'm, you know, he's getting beat up. It's a lot more nihilist and a lot more. Um, I'm not sure that I, I'm losing the Indiana Jones sense that I enjoy in Bond when it gets to him. Right. Yeah. And so you know, that's a, on the edges. Yeah. That's a that's a really good point, and I don't think I've really taken a chance to acknowledge it, but you are absolutely right that the Daniel Craig Bond movies are so much darker than all the other ones. But I will also say that in that line, like that's that's a change that could happen. You know, they've been doing things a certain way for a certain amount of time and trying something a little bit more rougher, a little harder to uh to go with I, I i don't know i i can get behind it and i think i think you know you look at skyfall which is you know my favorite bond movie um and fantastic. and the way it is really yeah good. the 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 way the story really brings it home and it really you know sort of says this is who james bond is this is where he came from 
And all the meanwhile, you know, he blows up his house, you know, um, and blows up his history whilst trying to protect England, you know, and protect the monarch, you know. And I think it's just so raw and so pure that, yeah, I agree with Russell. I think, you know, Bond is definitely a sharp-edged person, but he's also a real person and a person with, you know, emotional troubles and emotional feelings. So I see both sides there. And I love Skyfall, by the way. It's in my top five. So even, like I said, there's no bad Bond for me. And I want to really emphasize that. I love it all. And then George Lazenby's at the end, and I'm with Brian. And On Your Majesty's Secret Service is crapped on unfairly. It's a really good movie. I'll also say that one of this is a little tidbit from Skyfall. I loved watching Albert Finney and Judy Dench together yeah, on yeah, screen. Yeah. <laughs> like that. Yeah, that's, yeah. I don't know. I just really. Yeah. So. Anyway, GoldenEye for me was the introduction. It was the gateway. It, it To me, the video game looms big. It probably is my favorite Bond, and there's nostalgia going into that. It's the video game. It's everything, and uh, I appreciate that it opened up the world for me. So, uh, and, you know, I love all of these movies so much, and I'm just so excited to talk to you guys about them tonight, and uh, we're going to spoil this movie. So if you haven't seen GoldenEye at this point, uh, do yourself a favor Go watch it, play the video game but also because it's great, and then come back and listen to this podcast. We'll be back after these messages. Ah, uh, there you are, 007. Come along, then. For your next mission, I have prepared for you a special fountain pen. Twist the top, a highly concentrated mixture of nitric and hydrochloric acid comes out, dissolving all metals. Now pay attention closely, 007. This is a cellular mobile telephone. Using your fingerprints, it will cast a grappling hook and cord that extends over 100 meters and holds up to 200 kilograms of weight. More importantly, and this is something I'm really proud of, Demo 7, tap here and you will activate iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcasts. There you can download the Retro Movie Roundtable podcast. Be sure to subscribe and give the show a five-star rating and review. Otherwise, it will release a nerve gas that will fill the entire room. Like the show on Facebook. Email the team at RetroMovieRoundtable at Yahoo.com. And do remember, without Q-Lab's help, you would have been dead long ago, 007. Oh, and 007, do try and bring this back in one piece this time. We're back, and if you have not seen GoldenEye at this point, there will be spoilers moving forward. That being said... Andrew, would you like to give people a refresher on what happens in GoldenEye? Absolutely. So, the movie starts out, it's uh, 1986 in Russia, uh, a scene that was filmed in Switzerland, actually. Agent James Bond bungee jumps down a 720-foot dam, secured with a firing grapple hook. He lands himself safely to infiltrate a chemical weapons facility to plant explosives. Meeting with 006 agent Alec Trevelyan, he is captured and executed by Colonel Arkad Gravinich Umarov. Bond flees the facility, uh, leaving a time of three minutes prior to explosion, not the six minutes as agreed with Alec. Nine years later, it's 1995 and current day. Uh, after the end of the Soviet Union, Bond arrives in Monte Carlo. He is racing down the hill against uh, Azenia Onatop. Uh, he's in his, his Aston Martin and she's in her Ferrari 355 GTS. The scene is an intense race uh, next to the casino where they meet uh, for a game of Barakat. Uh, Onatop seemingly winning the car race, uh, but Bond's reply with a 
or win of the high stake game of cards at the wind table. After the drink, James Bond takes his signature martini, shaken but not stirred. On a top, takes the same but straight up with a twist, mimicking Bond's suave, yet stamping the Russian female superiority on it. The very same evening, Onatop crushes Admiral Farrell to death with her, with her thighs during sex. Omarov, who is also working with uh, Janus, steals Admiral Farrell's uh, uh, credentials to eventually uh, enter the uh, Navy destroyer, the French Navy destroyer, where they steal a Tiger helicopter. Omarov and Onatop fly the helicopter to a bunker in Serbia, where they massacre the staff and steal the control disc of Goldeneye a satellite from the pre-Soviet era of electromagnetic pulse weapons developed in the Cold War. They program uh, the first GoldenEye to destroy the complex and disable incoming Russian Air Force, uh, uh, Air Force fighters and escape in their Tiger helicopter with kidnapped and overconfident computer programmer Boris Grushchenko. Natalia Simonova, the lone survivor of the massacre, a level two programmer for the weapons guidance system of Goldeneye, contacts Grushenko and arranges to meet him in St. Petersburg, Russia, where he betrays her to Janus. In London, M assigns Bond to investigate the attack. He flies to St. Petersburg to meet CIA operative Jack Wade, who suggests that Bond meet with Valentin, a former KGB agent turned gangster and business rival of Janus. Uh, Zukovsky uh, arranges a meeting between Bond and Janus. Zukovsky. Uh, Zukovsky, thank you. It's a tough one. Uh, Anatop uh, surprises Bond at the uh, Grand Hotel Europe and attempts to seduce him and kill him, but he overpowers her. She takes him to Janus, who reveals himself as a surviving friend and ex-06 agent Alec Trevelyan, who has faked his death uh, though he was badly scarred by the explosion, he was only provided three minutes to escape. Uh, a descendant of the Cossack clan, um, Trevelyan had vowed revenge after the British betrayed his people, which led his parents to suicide. Just as Bond is about to shoot Trevelyan, Bond is shot with a tranquilizer dart. Uh, Bond awakens tied up to Natalia uh, inside the Tiger helicopter, which has been programmed to self-destruct. They escape and are captured and transported to a, Mus a Russian military base where a minister and defense are, interrogates them just as Natalia reveals the existence of a second satellite uh, and Umarov's involvement in the Siberian massacre. Umarov arrives and kills Mishkin, uh, intending to frame Bond in the murder. Bond steals a tank and pursues Umarov through the streets of St. Petersburg to Trevelyan's missile train where he kills Omarov, um, Trevelyan escapes and locks Bond in the train with Natalia, setting it to self-destruct. As Bond cuts through the floor with his laser watch, uh, Natalia triangulates with Grishenko's satellite dish to Cuba. They escape in three minutes, just before the train explodes. Uh, Bond and Natalia meet Wade in Florida Keys and borrow his plane for a trip to Cuba. It is here where it seems Bond and Natalia start to fall in love. Uh, during their search for a hidden um, GoldenEye satellite dish the next day, they are shot down in the jungle. Onatop repels from a helicopter and attacks Bond. He shoots the helicopter pilot, sending the vehicle into a spin, which snares Onatop between tree trunks and crushes her to death, completing the scene uh, with one of his classic one-liners, she always did like a good squeeze. <laughs> <laughs> Bond and Natalia watch water draining out of the lake, 
un uncovering the satellite dish. They infiltrate the control station and Bond is captured. Trevelyan reveals his plans to rob the Bank of England before erasing all of its financial records uh, with the second golden eye, concealing the theft and destroying Britain's economy and therefore uh, the world's economy. Natalia programs the satellite to initiate atmospheric re-entry and destroy itself. A Trevelyan captures Natalia and orders Grushenko to save the satellite. Grushenko unwittingly triggers an explosion with Bond's pen grenade, a gadget received earlier from Q, which allows Bond to escape uh, to the antenna, uh, antenna cradle. He sabotages the antenna to create a system overload, preventing Grushenko from regaining control of the satellite. Bond and Trevelyan fight on the antenna's suspended platform, which finishes with Bond holding a, a dangling Trevelyan from his foot. Bond releases Trevelyan, who plummets uh, into the dish second later, seconds later with the cradle exploding, killing Trevelyan and Grushenko. Natalia commandeers a helicopter and rescues Bond. It drops them in a field where they are, uh, fly off into the distance with Wade and a team of US Marines. And the credits roll. Da -da -da -da. Da -da 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 -da. Sorry for the mispronunciation there, guys. There are a few Russian names there that are a little, a little challenging. Bond even mispronounces uh, Semenyova's name. It's <laughs> oh, yeah. true. In the okay. movie. <laughs> she has to correct yeah. him. So uh, we got a big action start, uh, which is typical. We've got uh, we, they come back to base. They get the mission. There's a Bond girl. There's a henchman. There's a villain. Cars and gadgets, it's all part of the Bond template. And uh, yeah. we've seen it before, but I don't know about you guys. I love it every time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, Brian, before we talk about this, why don't you go ahead and hit us right with the cast and the acting? Obviously, we've talked a lot about him already. Pierce Brosnan, the Remington Steel himself, uh, plays James Bond. Um, and I just want to take a, a moment to say that everybody after this could legitimately get a best supporting actor nod here in my here book. here here so many awesome actors and actresses in this that when we get to this part you're gonna my head's just gonna explode and then i'm gonna die so anyway mm. uh our main antagonist sean bean the sean bean alec trevelyan um isabella and this is where I might mess up. Skrupko yes. as Natalia Semenyova. Uh, we got Framke Jensen as Zinya Anatov. Oh, we got to do Anatop. that one again. Fomka Jensen. Fomka See, this is just brutal. Fomka Jensen. It's such a pretty name. And you... <laughs> Fomka Jensen. <laughs> yeah. uh, Joe Don Baker as Jack Wade. Judy Dench as M. Robbie Coltrane as Valentine Zukovsky. Uh, Teki Caro, maybe? Yeah. Techki? Yeah. Caro as Dmitry Mishkin. Uh, Godfrey John as Colonel Orumov. Alan Cumming as Boris Grishinko. Uh, Desmond Lewin as Q. Samantha Bond but um, as Moneypenny. And Michael Kitchen as Bill Tanner. Good cast, and you're right. The pronunciation's got, uh, but I gotta give you credit. You made Boris Grishko, Grishinko sound very good. It's because <laughs> it's because of how she pronounces it in the movie. Like I love it. It sounds hot coming out of like how she <laughs> says it. Just like whoa, that's yeah. I'd, I'd want to hear her say my name Bo like that. Bo yeah. 
Boris, Boris. One screws Boris Krishkinko. Spiked it. It's interesting that uh, Timothy Dalton was in an interview. Uh, he was the Bond of the prior two movies, and there's a, the longest gap of any Bond movie that is in here. Broccoli, the producer of the Bond series, wanted Dalton to come back, and Timothy actually wanted to do one more, but he said, uh, you know, he was pressured to do more than one, and ended up saying no because Broccoli said, "We've been, we're going to do a lot more than one movie. We got to have you back in," and so that opened it up. And uh, there's an interesting story with this. Pierce Brosnan actually was scheduled to be James Bond when Timothy Dalton got it. So when Timothy Dalton was going to do this in the 80s, Pierce Brosnan was cast to take over the part when Roger Moore retired. And unfortunately, even though he was done, they were shooting promo shots and everything with him. His contract for Remington Steel picked up another season, thus not letting him out of his contract and therefore taking away the casting of James Bond. Pierce Brosnan said in interviews, this like crushed him. And he was just devastated. He, he had the role that he'd always wanted since he was a little boy. And they took it away from him. And he was just really, he had a hard time going back to work that season. And he wow. thought it would never come back to him again. Years and years later, after a legal battle of why there were no Bond movies, sure enough, Cubby Broccoli comes back to him again and says, do you want to be James Bond? And he's like, absolutely. Oh, oh wow. I, listen, Amazing. I'm happy for him. This is this yeah. is the best movie to start your Bond career. Like, yes, this is way better than Living Daylights and um, License to Kill. If you take those two movies, which aren't bad movies in and of themselves, like they kind of are... Um, time specific dealing with some of the problems like how drugs were bad in the eighties and that sort of thing. Not in the nineties or two thousands. Drugs are better now. Uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no, but it just, this is, this is a quintessential bond movie. It's got gadgets. They kind of went away from that a little bit in the Dalton ones. It's got girls with names that are slightly suggestive. It's got gold in the title. Most good Bond movies have gold in the title. Um, it's got Russians. It's got British. It's got the American wisecracking guy who, you know, is questionable about what he knows, if he knows what he's doing or not. But then in the end, he does. Yeah, it's this is just the quintessential Bond movie. And it had all these aspects to it that neither of those two Dalton ones had. So did Joe Don Baker's performance of Wade, Jack Wade, uh, do you feel like that summed up uh, the American stereotype in Britain? Andrew? I would say so. I, I would say it was a pretty good representation, um, you know, of, you know, big talker. Um, but then in the end, you know, he, he shows up with the, uh, with the U.S. Marines and he's like, you know, stand up guys, here we are kind of thing, you know, making a big entrance at the end. So, was you know, you guys, you guys got oh, a nice please. little end scene there, which was quite impressive. <laughs> I, I did like the, uh, you know, like we, he didn't do the code talk and Bond didn't like that when he met him. And he's like, uh, James Bond, stiff ass Brit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, in the day, you guys, you know, you came off on James Bond. He landed in a field. He had no idea you guys were around there. You know, this is supposed to be our uh, top operative. And all of a sudden you guys stand up and there's like 20 dudes standing around you. And you're like, oh, damn. <laughs> I didn't know you guys were there. So that was such a great that was such a great line too where he's like there's no one within a hundred miles Yo, Jimbo. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> another interesting tie back to while we're talking about connections to the 80s joe don baker the guy who plays wade here he is actually the villain in one of the dalton movies 
uh, which was yep. yes, and that's un- you might think it's unusual for a franchise to reuse actors. For some reason, James Bond does this. The bad guy in Diamonds Are Forever is a contact who dies, and you only live twice. And Maude Adams <laughs> is in three movies. She's an octopusy. She's in The Man with the Golden Gun, and she's actually in, I believe, A View to a Kill briefly as well. Does she? Does she? Die? die in all of those she definitely dies a man with the golden gun which is the first one she does not die in octopussy and she's more of an ancillary character that doesn't have the opportunity to have such things but that's three movies <laughs> i mean so if you mm. want to say who's the ultimate bond girl maybe Maude adams just because she got to be in three of them unless you count judy dench who's been in more oh i'll yeah. I'll, I'll always hats off to judy dench yeah me too me too one last 80s connection is not only did uh, Pierce Brosnan have the role and lose the role to Timothy Dalton, but another guy who auditioned for the role of James Bond is Sean Bean in the 80s. Ah, yes, I remember. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't get that part because he doesn't die in the end. <laughs> or, w- or we would have been out of Bond movies because he might have. <laughs> anyway, License to Kill and Beautiful, sorry, License to Kill and Living Dead would have been very different movies with them. So this movie was written thinking they were going to get Timothy Dalton back. And so when they got Pierce instead, they had to make a lot of changes. The writers of this understand who they're writing for, and they adjusted accordingly. We got a very different movie in GoldenEye, and it would have been a different movie had it been Timothy Dalton. Part of us loving this movie is because it was made for Pierce. They said, Mm. oh, crap, guys, we've got to make the dialogue way better now. (laughs) Yeah. They dressed them better. <laughs> Timothy Dalton got pretty much the worst attire of any Bond. That was the 80s, man. Yeah, that yeah, was. The, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember him That's trucking around with like, like a pair of khakis and a windbreaker at one point. I'm just like, what is, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. You look like you came from the YMCA in a game of tennis. <laughs> yeah. So Pierce, Pierce, Pierce brings it back to looking smooth again. Uh, yeah. Some other fun sure. alternate castings is uh, if you if you're uh, Natalia who is a great character uh, Angie Everhart who I personally love her uh, she's not known for her acting but she's she's gorgeous uh, she auditioned for the role of Natalia did not get it but some other actors who they did want and considered but turned the role down are Elizabeth Hurley and Elle McPherson and uh, also Paulina Porzinkova so uh, that's my turn to not mm. pronounce one properly. We're all offered the role of Natalia, but turned it down. Oddly enough, Elizabeth Hurley goes on to play a, an Austin Powers girl later. Right. Uh, okay. <laughs> That's interesting. No regrets. <laughs> right. I just got one question for you. Do I make you horny? <laughs> I'm not going there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he was so subtle. Yeah, sure he was. So yeah, so like James Bond. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> While we're on the topic of Bond girls, Famke Janssen broke her rib in the sauna fight scene with Pierce Brosnan. Uh, she was encouraging him to be rougher with her, and then saying, you know, this wasn't, you know, that scenes doesn't look good. You can be rougher with me. You know, we got to really do this. And uh, you know, she even was saying like, they got some padding. We're fine. And things weren't padded. And uh, so they're really throwing each other around. They're biting each other quite hard. They're scratching, and he does throw up against the wall, and he cracks her rib. <gasps> wow. <laughs> Could you imagine that? Yeah, I have, I, have, I have a feeling at some point Pierce is like, are, are you enjoying this? <laughs> like, are you sure? She's Listen, like, give me another, give me another take. Be, I'll be 
I'll be completely honest with you guys. I was 13, 14 years old when this movie came out. I would lay. I would. I would have let her break me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> what's that? Um, what's that YouTube clip uh, we saw today, Russell? Oh, the, the Conan uh, episode. The Conan episode. Uh, if anyone's listening, they should uh, YouTube that episode where uh, actually uh, Famke uh, is on that and demonstrates the uh, the, the the leg squeeze. On, on that show. Which oh, did she like quite... break a watermelon or something? No. no she, he, she squeezes he Conan. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I've never until this day been jealous of Conan O'Brien. <laughs> you will be after you've seen this. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Gotcha. It's, it's, it's from way back there in his early days. It is funny, though. You should definitely check out that. Uh, so if you search for Fomka Jansen on Conan O'Brien, I'm sure it'll come up. Uh, there's a bigger gap between License to Kill and GoldenEye than any Bond movie up till this point, for sure. And um, the reason for this is, it's kind of frustrating. There were legal problems between MGM, the parent company of United Artists, the Broccoli's, uh, who own the Bond film rights. And uh, the problem is, MGM and United Artists was getting sold to Quintex, an Australian uh, financial services company. Uh, the French company called Pathé Entertainment then bought it when that deal fell through. And then MGM United Artists had a merged entity with Pathé. And they then got sued by the Broccoli's because they had the rights to the Bond films. And they wanted to basically play these at cut rate prices. And they didn't like that. So the lawsuit ensued and it's not settled until 1992. This thing is tying up the whole time. Timothy Dalton's under contract to be James Bond for seven years, but the years are melting away. And ultimately, Pathé uh, obviously is bankrupted as a result of the lawsuits and through other man mismanagement. And so another company then comes in and then finally begins development of Bond 17 in 1993. So Dalton was still Broccoli's choice to play Bond, but as I discussed earlier, that didn't pan out. Like I said, Dalton's career as Bond, to no fault of his own, was just absolutely eviscerated. Kind of sad, wow. though. Yeah, it is, yeah. Did he go on to do anything else after that? Do you know? American Outlaws with Colin Farrell and Scott Kahn. Uh, mm -hmm. My favorite appearance of his is in the comedy movie Hot Fuzz with uh, Sean, uh, Simon Pegg and... Um, oh, yes, Frost. absolutely. As the, uh, as the guy that drives uh, the, the theater guy, right? That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah I remember. <laughs> and he also, is a, he also has some memorable appearances on Doctor Who as well, so... As I mentioned, Albert Brackley was the producer of these, and he created the film version of Bond with Ian Fleming and another man named Harry Saltzman. But Albert Brockley was really the consistent guiding voice. Saltzman comes under financial trouble later, and Brockley buys him out. So Brockley is from all the way back to Dr. No, which is the first Bond, all the way up through GoldenEye. He's he's Mr. Bond. We, he's the reason we have these movies, and he had the rights to him. And he is very controlling as a producer in terms of who's directing it, what the tone of the movie will be, reacting to what happened last time. And so, this is the movie where he's still alive, but he takes a backseat and lets his daughter Barbara Broccoli, who uh, she's credited with reinventing the series with Daniel Craig as well, but she basically is in charge with uh, Michael G. Wilson, Barbara Broccoli, and Michael G. Wilson are responsible for the Pierce Brosnan era and the Daniel Craig era, and it's a sea change. And so what are your thoughts? Uh, I'll go to you first, Brian. 
Where do you see, feel like the series changes? I feel like to a certain degree, the movies were very formulaic up until Pierce Brosnan's. And you can still see the architecture of the formula in the Brosnan ones. Um, not that you can't in the Craig, but I feel like they have subtly gone a little bit further away from really this this base formula that started in Dr. No and was very prevalent through Roger Moore. Uh, heavily i will say it is it's more in your face like the violence i feel like in any of the previous bond movies like call it pre-1980 the violence wasn't that violent whereas now i mean gosh you watch daniel craig take some of these hits and you're just like oh jeez so um i i do think they're maybe more realistic i mean i hate saying realistic when i'm talking about a bond movie because that just seems silly but I, I do feel like the wear and tear that you see on Bond in the Daniel Craig ones is more representative of what someone who's been through all this stuff, stuff would be, especially in uh, a movie like Skyfall where you, know, you see him basically cutting shrapnel out of his own shoulder so he can lift his arm right to shoot. Like just yeah. stuff like that. That's more realistic. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. I think the numbers agree with you because I remember reading, I think it was Spin Magazine who totaled up all the drinks that each Bond consumed by actor, (laughs) all the deaths killed by each actor, all the ladies um, that he had been with with each actor. And by far, Pierce Brosnan had the highest kill count of any Bond. So you're not wrong in saying that. And I think Roger Moore had the most ladies. Yeah, I think this one has the most kill count actually of any Bond movie. And that's my understanding um i forget what the number is but it's uh, it, i think this movie has the highest kill count of every bond, any of every single bond movie uh you know i, like, I wouldn't doubt it I, uh, that seems very believable i've just checked here it's 47 people were killed by 007 in this film yeah zinya on top goes in and like mows down an entire bunker full of people those are real deaths too those are the actors who died while Bro- uh, brosnan was doing his thing in this movie hey it's gotta look real um uh so andrew an interesting thing is martin campbell who is the director of goldeneye this is his first bond movie he's directing uh and you know he's he's no well known for edge of darkness the tv series uh mask of zorro legend of zorro but he also does casino royale Mm -hmm. later as well which is really unexpected and i wanted to see from you he did Pierce's first movie, and then later he does uh, Daniel Craig's first movie. Talk about the differences in Goldeneye versus uh, Casino Royale. Again, from a director's standpoint and the approach of, as Brian put it, it gets grittier than this. It does, but at the same time, I, you know, I, I hear what Brian's saying about this change of era, right? And it's funny how um, you know Brian says that GoldenEye was this change of era um, for GoldenEye. And, you know, I think that same change of era happened with Casino Royale, you know. I think that that was, yes, it was a new Bond, and but the, the look and the feel of, of James Bond changed again. So maybe he was brought on, you know, to make these changes in both of these two eras. Maybe that's what, what the director was brought on for. Um, so, I mean, I the difference is, yeah. 
yeah, you know, I think I think the difference is, yeah, the huge differences between between the two styles of movie. But I think that's because we are changing as as viewers, as as uh, the people who are watching this movie. And I think he's adapted with the times and changed the movie as as what we are expecting for for the movies that we're watching. So I, I you know, I tr- I kind of uh, liken the. Uh, the, the, the new era movies to the American series of Bourne. You know, I don't know if you guys have covered Bourne, yeah. any of the Bourne movies, but, you know, Bourne is, is another series that, that I really enjoy and is, is, is really rough around the edges and really gets to the nitty-gritty of it. I think, I think those two really compete with each other. You know, the Brits versus the Americans, who is harder, Bourne or James Bond? Tell me, Russell. Oh, man. Um... I'd say that Bourne is more gritty, and I'd say that Bourne influenced Bond in some ways. I think it was such a successful series that uh, even though James Bond's been around for decades, uh, I think it was influenced because of Bourne. I'd be interested to know where, where, when when was the first Ian Fleming book written? I don't know how Uh, long ago Robert Robert Ludlum was writing the Bourne. 52 to 64 was when uh, Ian Fleming did his writing. Okay. Uh, How about Robert Ludlum? I will. You'll somebody's going to have to Google that. In the meantime, I I, I happen to have the other one pretty off the top of my head, but that one I don't have. I'll do it. So, uh, and unfortunately, Ian dies as the movie series are really taking off and uh, he doesn't fully get to enjoy the, fruits of everything that he did but uh i was gonna say it's it's also worth mentioning this is the first movie where we're totally out of ian fleming material in that this does not have an ian fleming book this does not have pieces absorbed from an ian fleming short story they had to construct a fresh story for goldeneye so uh it's gone on for so long that we're unfortunately out of the writings from ian so yeah, I, I think this all adds up to me. I, I'm looking now, you know, uh, the uh, Born Supremacy was 2004 um, and Casino Royale was 2006. So, yeah, I think you I think you hit the nail on the head. I think uh, the Casino Royale was influenced by the Born uh, and, and what was going on with that and how successful Born was. Um, so I, I, I see similarities and I feel similarities between the two. I'll also say, and this is something that I, I've I've reminded a couple people over the time, because Bond is one of those things that once you start talking about it, it's hard to stop. <laughs> but I feel like it's really important to to note that all of the Daniel Craig movies are showing you how Bond became Pierce Brosnan. Uh-huh. Like it is an entire you see how he becomes cold how he becomes a heavy drinker. I mean, they even show the the progression of how he makes his signature drink. He goes from saying, does it look like I care how my vodka martini's done to like in another movie he's experimenting with like lemon twists and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then finally he ends with his signature drink. So the Daniel Craig Bond is 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 young Brosnan. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's Agreed. the brash yeah. Brosnan you know, before he learned to do it the easier way. 
that's a that, that is an interesting take on that and i like to think of it all tying together and you're right that's that's one way of tying things in with each other i thought it was interesting uh martin campbell was introducing a new bond and so do you guys did you guys happen to notice of what the first glimpse of james bond is when they change the actor they often shield his face for a period of time and then kind of give him a grand opening uh in this case martin doesn't give him a grand opening uh, did you catch what the first face shot of Pierce Brosnan as being James Bond was? Uh, yeah, it's from the barrel of the gun. Well, that's true, but he's at quite some distance. So that's true. But in the movie, where you first see him is he's hanging upside down in a bathroom stall. And then punches uh, yes. a guy taking a poop in the face. That's correct. Mean. That's right. So all the Bonds before him have kind of gotten this grand entrance. Uh, and George Lazenby is probably being the most on the nose when he looks at the camera like uh, and saying, that never happened to the other guy. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm terribly sorry. Forgot to knock. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so uh, this movie, as Andrew alluded to, is happening in the end of the Cold War. And this is the USR has disbanded. And they write a pretty interesting story around this, I would venture to say it's a little deeper than Bond's prior to this, perhaps not as deep as where they go later with movies like Skyfall and, you know, Quantum of Solace. They get quite intricate later, but uh, uh, do you like this setting? Uh, you know, old Russia and like the, you know, what? who's going to rise to power out of this, Andrew? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's that age old, you know, who are the bad guys, who are the good guys, you know, and... Uh, you know, the Soviet era, post-Soviet era, you know, the Russians were the bad guys, you know, and the way it's set up is, is great. The way they, he lands in this chemical base um, and he's, uh, he's trying to obviously beat the bad guys. And uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it's set up fantastically. And you're right in terms of, you know, previous movies being a little bit more simple. Um, but I think, I think, Movies have to develop and to to stay with the times and be you know keep people interested. Um, they they have to be, get a little bit more complex, which is why now you know and, and probably the next movie that comes out number twenty six is going to be you know super complex, and we're going to have to probably start thinking and guessing who is the bad guy as opposed to knowing it from the beginning. You know, um, so oh, yeah, I, I think it's a good setup. So you're not a fan of Doctor Evil, Gwen? Let's just do what we always do and just hijack some nuclear warheads and take the world hostage, okay? <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, I mean, that's that's part of development. Um, and like I say, you know, everything that leading up to Pierce Brosnan in this movie. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think movies that are complicated are good for rewatching and coming back to it and and watching it for the second and third time and and really thinking, oh, I didn't notice that the first time, but now that makes sense, you know. Um, the, asking yourselves questions like that allow you to watch movies more than once and really appreciate them. Absolutely. Another major part of the James Bond movie heritage is it is an amazing travelogue. Every one of these movies takes you to amazing exotic locations. Brian, what do you think about some of the places we go in this movie? Uh, this is a really fun one for uh, cool places to go. That's one of the, the formula pieces that really hasn't changed much with Bond movies. And I do like it because I, I can remember certain scenes from so many different Bond movies where I was like, that looks sweet. How do you get there? Mm. <laughs> where is that? I want to go. Yeah, exactly. Andrew, yeah. you're quite the traveler, aren't you? 
Yeah, so obviously from England myself, uh, traveled and lived in Dubai, you know, this high end new built city um, where you see the flashy cars, you see the tuxedos. You're talking about Pittsburgh, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. So I can really, I can really appreciate it. And probably the, the closest I'll ever be to uh, sort of living the life. Uh, but that James Bond does, the jet setter over in over in Dubai in the Middle East. Um, so yeah, I I really appreciate it. You see something like that. You see him pulling up to Monaco um, in his DB5, and you think, wow, I wish I was there. So I appreciate that. So it's interesting that the wall comes down because now they can actually go to St. Petersburg, Russia, and actually film. And that was a pretty cool place for them to go film in this movie, as well as we have the French Riviera. And we have Monte Carlo and we have uh, they call it uh, Cuba, but it's actually Puerto Rico where they shoot. But exotic and interesting nonetheless. Um, mm -hmm. Beautiful locations. Uh, really cool. I love the tank chase scene through the old streets of. Uh, oh, and I shouldn't forget either. London as well. Correct. Yes. I well, in actual you fact, the uh, studio was set up in Herefordshire in England, actually. It was uh, uh, apparently the original booking. Um, the, the studio was, was fully booked, so they actually filmed most of it in uh, an old Rolls-Royce factory in uh, Herefordshire. Well, that Rolls-Royce should be good enough for this, yes. yes. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I had a weird uh, point on this whole locations thing i have always wanted to go see the arecibo radio telescope and i don't know if it's because of this movie or not but that's always been like an earmark thing especially since i was a big x-files fan as well and it's a rather large radio telescope mm -hmm. so just a little, little little tidbit have you seen the movie contact as well oh yes it's in that as well yep it's the go-to big satellite when you need a big satellite <laughs> was it uh, was it in was it in the arrival with Charlie Sheen? I haven't seen that. Can't say. Oh, you should watch that one. That's sounds a, sounds like it's good, winning. Good '90s alien movie. Good paranoia movie. Yeah. Um. So a big part of the James Bond uh, lineage as well is that he is a style icon, uh, as well as the women are dressed stylishly. What do we think about the looks? As we mentioned, uh, kind of the '80s Bonds were not so good for the cars and the the wardrobe. Mm -hmm. What do we have here now that it's uh, fresh in the mid-90s? Uh, Andrew, are, is this a prettier movie to look at in terms of the style? Absolutely. I mean, I think we, we, we touched a little bit on it um, earlier, but, you know, the, when when he bu buzzed through the wall in his tank and, uh, you know, I remember this particular scene where he, where he pulls a full stop on the tank and these two uh, police cars drive into the back of a horse and he's like, huh, what just happened? And, and turns his head around the corner, looks, sees these two police cars speared on the back of this horse and then sort of, you know, plays with his cufflinks, make sure they're square, you know, and uh, carries on. You know, it, it, it's perfect. Um, I think uh, the, the way the wardrobe is set up and, uh, you know, I have to say... On a top, wow, okay, um, you know, what she wears is just, uh, it just makes you want to just go, wow, 
<laughs> you know, she's she wearing her Russian army jackets in some scenes, um, you know, with the buttons that come across and uh, very well fitted. But then when she's in Cuba, she drops down the helicopter, you know, looking a little bit like uh, Lara Croft from Tomb Raider and uh, in full cam, yeah, in full camo mode. You know, so yeah, I think some great, uh, some great wardrobe and costumes in this movie. Uh, two that I want to mention for sure are the casino scene. Uh, Pierce has got. Uh, so to me, when you say, "What is your image of Pierce Brosnan uh, as Bond?" It is this casino scene in Golden Knight when he comes in and he's got his, you know, you know, he's, this is in this black tie. He's got the waistcoat with the, uh, you know, proper low cut black tie, and uh, you know. It's very, very, very formal, very, very, very classy. And he sits down to a table uh, with an equally uh, impressive Fomka Jansen's dressed up, you know, black dress. It's very low cut, red lips. And, uh, you know, she's it, it, it implies that she's deadly as well. Uh, it, it has this like um, pretty but deadly kind of nature. And, and I, I agree with that, too. There's something really just devilishly attractive to the Betty Boop, you know, the dark hair, bright red lipstick look. Uh, yeah, that, I think no need to go any further than that, huh? That's all right. <laughs> well, uh, and I think they give her her own charm and certainly. But when you first meet uh, Natalia, they want you to know that she's not necessarily a trophy i wouldn't say trophy wife but trophy girl necessarily of a bond girl she's a computer programmer she's a smart girl and she's uh perhaps wearing a shorter skirt than a normal programmer might wear in uh cold uh russia but on the other hand she's certainly (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, she climbs out the satellite and it's negative uh 30 and you're like um i don't think so and then she takes her dog sled presumably (laughs) back to civilization (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. if anybody doesn't have style in this movie it's boris but somehow i like that he's this tacky computer programmer his shirts are just see absurd. he looks perfect he looks perfect for a yeah. uh, security I mean, he's got like a hawaiian shirt on mm-hmm. like he has to put on like a nine layer parka to go out for a cigarette yeah. i still don't know how he lit a cigarette seriously when he went outside even before the helicopter lands i'm like <laughs> there's no way there's yeah a, it's like no so this is counter to Roger Moore or uh, Pierce Brosnan before him. Dalton does a little bit of this, but Pierce steps it up a lot more. There's less emphasis on spying and a lot more emphasis on an extraordinary combat warrior. Uh, Pierce, is pretty, particularly in the beginning of the movie, has these black uh, military fatigues on as he's breaking into the facility and diving down the dam. Uh, what do you guys think about this? Do you like seeing a Bond who's, again, dressed as a soldier? more than as a debonair spy. Yeah, I think you've got to have a bit of everything, um, I, I, in my opinion. I think, you know, uh, at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's, it's like everything. You, you work and you wear a suit to work, right? But then, you know, you've got to get to work and you've got to put on your overalls. And I think that's what, it, that's what it's about. And, he, you know, he, was, he socializes and he's, he has his suave, but he can also be relaxed. And, you know, like, for example, in the newer movies, you see Daniel Craig coming out of the of the beach in, in swimming trunks, you know, or uh, do you, you mean he doesn't wear those trunks? three piece suits into the water? <laughs> you know, so I, I, I think, you know, it's good to have variation, mm-hmm. um, but always coming back to the suit, the tuxedo and the cufflinks. Definitely. 
So this is a pretty good movie for gadgets. I love the watch laser and uh, we got the pen grenade, which is to me one of my all time favorite uh, ones as well. And you've got the piton gun as he bungee jumps down to grapple his way and pull him into the facility. And um, we got a couple of other fun ones in the Q lab. You've got the cast missile launcher that Q demonstrates. And there's a defective airbag phone booth that goes off trapping mm. a guy in a phone booth <laughs> in the background. Uh, what do, we, do we like these gadgets, Andrew? Yes. Uh, I, was, I was a little bit disappointed with the car. Um, I felt that um, it was product placement, unfortunately. Big time. Um, oh, got, gone wrong. Um, they demonstrated what the car could do, uh, in terms of in the factory and description, but it, it never did anything out in the field. Well, right. You don't they know drove... what Jack Wade did with it after he drove off. No, it, he's just going to no go idea. bombing around with it. Jimbo. They, <laughs> they drove the car to a, a location in the middle of the road and then the car drove off and that was the only time you see the car in the movie which is which is strange because it's not what you see in the james bond movies you're so right. we're so used to seeing james bond cars being an integral part of beating the villain well uh, you know a tool and he didn't use it as a tool and i i was a little disappointed on that it's weird and i think you're right about that andrew but there is an amazing chase scene in the beginning of the movie where you do have the classic aston martin db5 uh driving down a the the french uh, mountainside and then you've got this ferrari that xenia drives up to him and they're kind of racing with each other in a chase scene in the beginning uh, yeah, but I want to make a big distinction there. There's a difference between a chase scene and a race scene. Mm. Okay, mm. that's fair, and it's a race. Like, it, it is a he, race. If he was if he was hitting a button and fogging up her mirrors with exhaust, so she drives off a cliff, then I'd give you a chase scene. I would go as far as saying the DB5 is owned by James Bond, and I would go as far as saying the BMW is owned by His Majesty's Secret Service. And that's the difference for me between the two. Like the James, the, the DB5 didn't have any gadgets. It was James Bond's car because he is pure suave. But the BMW was a tool that he didn't use. And that's my gut feeling anyway. No, you're right. And we see it more in action in the next movie. But I, I think there must have been some kind of stipulation with this new car that they had to have it returned undamaged. I can't <laughs> confirm or not that. No, I'm not. I'm not kidding. I have read that yeah. like that. So they couldn't actually do anything fun with it. So, but they uh, clearly paid handsomely to have it advertised, and they sold like hotcakes. The, the BMW Z3. So that's right. Yeah, I remember after this movie came out, that car was like the sports car to have. It was everywhere. Oh, that car was everywhere. In England, in England, we call that the hairdresser's car. <laughs> it's quite amusing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, some great stunts in this movie. Uh, the opening scene where he jumps into an airplane from a uh, off a cliff by a, a motorcycle. They actually jump a motorcycle off of a cliff. Now they don't actually skydive into an actual real life plane and pull it up, but that is a six thousand foot drop. And uh, he's actually driving off of it with a motorcycle. So they had to construct a ramp in full, wait till it snowed to shoot the shot, shoot it. And they had to run it very carefully with like no gas in it. So like it didn't blow up or like cause a bunch of environmental problems. And then they had to wait until spring to recover the parts. So this took three seasons worth just to do this one stunt. Wow. Uh, That's amazing. Yeah. 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 
and it's interesting that you said this is the era where CGI comes into play, Andrew, because this particular movie, it, it hasn't quite arrived into GoldenEye yet. It does happen in Pierce's tenure, uh, but there are enormous number of miniatures in this one. So they're kind like of the V12 vanish. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, that's true. I mean, in this one, there's miners, you know, like the watch laser. Um, and I think I was more referring to the open credits. You know, that's when they start bringing in the CGI stuff. Oh, that's fair. To the open credits. Um, but yeah, within the movie itself, there isn't that much. But I still think this is the start of that era. And like you say, you know, you start looking at Die Another Day and it's just uh, it's a whole new level. Um, but yeah, um, I, I agree with you there. So there are a lot of miniatures, and I don't, I'll go through them real quick and see if you guys think about The stealth frigate when the helicopter is stolen and then taken off, that's a miniature model. The Russian satellite helicopter crashing into it and blowing up, that's a little miniature model. Uh, the Russian meg fighters in the, the Russian fighter jets are one to seven scale uh, fighter jets that they're actually flying around. Uh, the lightning is added in later that from the EMP blast. Uh, there's many times where the tank runs over cars, and rather than crushing cars and stuff like that. They use miniature models for that. And the Cuba satellite, while a real place, the whole draining of the lake component and it rising up into position is all a miniature model. And uh, blowing up the chemical facility as James Bond recovers that airplane and leaves. And even the statues in the statue park are models. I don't know if you I don't mean to disenchant it if anybody's seen it because it looks amazing these models when you see the behind the scenes footage on the DVD it's uh mm. it will blow your mind. So uh, I I didn't even know that that was a that was model. <laughs> so you're saying it was a miniature model where they actually had water in there and they pulled the plug. That's correct. Yeah. Wow. Very okay. Cool. Yeah, and uh, I mean, these cool. things are incredibly convincing, and like, again, they'll literally put like kitty litter down, and then put like fake snow on top of it, and then blow it with an air cannon, and like some pyrotechnics that are small, like we're talking small scale things, and they'll just shoot it at a very, 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 very low perspective to make it look extremely real. Oh my gosh, cool. wow. Yeah. I'm going to get my fireworks, and I'm going to go outside after we're done with this. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, one of the things that uh, every Bond movie has that shows a sign of the times is the soundtrack, and uh, this is probably my one spot of the movie that I don't know that I love. I actually do love the title sequence song uh, by Tina Turner, and it's mm -hmm. actually written by The Edge and Bono of U2. What do you um, guys think about this one, Andrew? I did love it, um, and I listened to it before we came on today just to inspire me. I think it's, uh, I think it's a great opening song. Um, I was reading that... Uh, the Rolling Stones were actually offered the chance to uh, sing the title song, but they declined, um, which is interesting as well. But I think Tina, she really covers it well. And uh, you know it's GoldenEye when that song comes on. Absolutely. And uh, fun fact, Swedish pop band Ace of Bass was originally slated to perform this song, but they ended up not doing it. But their version of the song is rewritten with different lyrics and then re-released on another album later. So if you want to hear what Ace of Bass could have done with the song Goldeneye, check out on YouTube the song The Juvenile by Ace of Bass. It's actually not bad. Okay, I'm going to check it out. I'm writing it yeah, my notes too. now. <laughs> um, Brian? Uh, I will say this. This was the first Bond theme I ever... Well, I told you it was my first Bond movie. So this is the first Bond theme that i had memorized i knew all the words to this one and not too long after um i got this movie um i actually bought a soundtrack of all the other bond title themes 
And with the exception of maybe three or four movies, I could sing you any Bond theme. Nice. But I'm not going to. (laughs) (laughs) So, guys, it's time for Look for This. Brian, do you want to hit us with some trivia? Yeah, it's less trivia and just a little fun thing. Um, One of my favorite little tidbits in this movie, and this is something I didn't realize until much later, I would say maybe the early 2000s, is uh, many drivers in this movie as the uh, Russian mobster, I'm just going to call him Hagrid. Uh, It's Robbie Coltrane's girlfriend, Irina. Who strangled the cat. Yeah, (laughs) he tells to take a height. It's actually many driver. And I remember rewatching this just one of the million times I've seen it and being like, holy crap, that's Mini Driver. It is. I'm going to go with the License to Kill 1989 used a contest to advertise for whoever would win the contest could become a cameo, like stand in in the next Bond movie. But as mentioned, this thing got tied up ruthlessly in court for a long, 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 long time. But fear not, the winner of this contest, she gets to appear in the casino next to Xenia on top, on a, on a top at the ca, at the back rack table in a lovely gold and black evening dress looking over her shoulder as she plays baccarat. So she is a contest winner who waited many years to claim her prize. Here's one that interests me. Do we actually know what uh, M's real name is in the script? Do either of you two know? Do tell them. No. It's Barbara. Barbara Maudsley. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. That's what I thought, too. Uh, not coincidentally, Cubby, uh, his or Albert Broccoli, his daughter, who is now producer of this movie for the first time, her name is Barbara as well. I'm interested to know what the whole part is between Daniel Craig and M. He's like, I never understood what M meant. I had no idea. And she's like, utter another word and it'll be your last. Like, I just, <laughs> I'm really curious what he was going to say. Well, and then it got even better because he gets into the elevator and is like, Mom. <laughs> 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 Mom, <laughs> nice. Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe she didn't want to know. Yeah, yeah or want no, us no. to know. I loved it. Andrew, you ready to hand out some superlatives with us? Sure. Let's go with uh, your MVP to start this off. I'm gonna say Pierce Brosnan. He is the Bond from my Wonder Years. He, you know, he is the Bond uh, through my teens that just you know, really got me to appreciate Bond and really want to uh, and want to be somebody who, 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 you know, perhaps was a little suave and a little cocky and, you know, perhaps, you know, travel a little. So I'm going to go with Pierce Brosnan. Mm, love it. Brian? I got to completely agree. Uh, I can't completely gush about how this is the best Bond and not go with Pierce. I didn't really know him him as an actor well uh when i first saw this movie but i've seen an entire host of movies since then just because he's in it uh thomas crown affair uh, after the sunset just really really like pierce uh i didn't see mama mia i probably never will but that's he doesn't sing well but nobody in it does (laughs) so uh yeah i don't know i dig it uh my MVP is Pierce Brosnan as well, but I want to give a nod to Barbara Broccoli for taking over the reins from her father, keeping the family business alive, and keep keep continuing to give us great Bond movies. Uh, she reinvented the series, and I would say Goldeneye revived it, and then later Casino Royale reinvents it. And she's responsible for not only reviving it, but reinventing it as well. So Barbara Broccoli is going to get a nod from me on this one. Right on. Uh, best Supporting Actor, and as Brian mentioned, this is hard. Andrew. 
Yeah, I think I mentioned her earlier. Um, she is the first female M, um, and I think she plays it amazingly. She puts Bond in his place in this movie and really tells it how it is. And she continues to do so from for many Bonds after. Um, so Judy Dench. It can't go wrong with that, Brian. Uh, for the sake of variety, I'm gonna go with someone other than Judy Dench. But yes, I completely agree. She's she's probably hands down my favorite British female actress. Uh, I'm gonna give it to Alan Cumming because Boris Grishenko in this is one of the funniest, weirdest little bad guy characters that I have ever seen. And after this movie, I spent years perfecting the pen. It's true. Nervous <laughs> habit of his. Like I seriously, like, I spent time learning how to do that because of this movie. It's true. Uh, I've seen him do it. Click, click, click. I'm going to go with the uh, best supporting actor. Uh, also for variety stake, because there's so many good people to call out. You got Sean Beam, Judy Dench, Joe John Baker, Robbie Coltrane, Alan Cumming. They're all amazing, but I'm going to go with Fomka Jansen on this one. She's one of my favorite henchmen. She's one of my favorite Bond girls. Uh, beautiful, but deadly. Hidden gem. Andrew? Uh, honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to Sean Bean. Um, I you know didn't really know much about him. Um, at the time of the release of the movie. Um, and now look at him. He is a global superstar. Everybody knows who he is. So I'm going to go with Sean Bean. Great one. And Brian, is it Mini Driver? Um, I, uh, no, no. I'm going to go with Robbie Coltrane on this one. And I'm going to tell you guys why. Um, the He is a great character who they end up using in, in future Bond movies as the same same guy mm -hmm. and uh so not only does he play this part really well but i feel like if you if i were gonna show my kids a bond movie first it would be this one because i'm gonna assume that they've already watched harry potter and then they can be <laughs> like oh look it's hagrid <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's so true for yeah. me my hidden gem is gonna be desmond Llewellyn or q he is the mm -hmm. one piece that has been there from the not quite the very beginning, but almost the very beginning. And he is in pretty much every Bond movie, and he is the tie that binds. We've lost our old M. We've changed out money pennies a couple of times by this point. And uh, this is the piece that said, okay, this is a link to the past. This is this mm -hmm. is Q. And he's, he can do this part in his sleep, and he's great. And I love him in this. The Q Lab scene, I always get excited to see him in the Q Lab. And Pierce is... Uh, chemistry with desmond is fantastic so really grow up 007 yes yeah. uh, yes just out of interest what do you feel how do you feel about the new young q it's fun i like him and i mean like i said if you if you kicked out uh if you kicked out desmond llewellyn to replace him i wouldn't like it but i mean I, he's unfortunately i don't know if he's with us anymore Let's yeah see. he passed yeah uh, he passed after um was it die another day uh, he retired out of the part, but you're right. I do think he has passed away. I'm going to confirm I, I think they did a in loving memory sequence to him yeah. at the end of Die Another Day. It was either Die Another Day or World Is Not Enough. It was, it was one of the last two Pierce ones. Yes. So he died in December of 1999 at 85. So, uh, so yeah, I want to say it was World Is Not Enough because then they introduced um, what's his name is R. John Cleese. Yeah. 
Yeah. He's like, he's cute. Does that make you awe? I like I like John Cleese, but I really like Ben Whishaw as well. I just I love Q Lab. I do. If they had kept Q as an older stately gentleman, I would have liked to have seen Michael Caine. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Q. And Michael Caine, just another tidbit of uh, interest here. Michael Caine is the only actor in Hollywood where you don't know if he's introducing himself or offering you cocaine. <laughs> I'm Michael Caine, and this is my cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Uh, Andrew, if you had to recast somebody in this in this movie, who would it be and who might you put in their place? I'm going to go against perhaps what uh, was said earlier. Um, I'm going to say Natalia. She, yes, okay, she plays this innocent sort of computer programmer but um, doesn't have for me the screen presence that a Bond girl should have um, you know if you compare something to the Eva Green of the Casino Royale you know how, how much strength she had in that movie um, I, I think they could have casted her a little better I don't know if there is a way of casting a computer programmer as a stronger person but uh, I just feel that perhaps maybe that could have been a, a different uh, angle to computer programming, perhaps. Perhaps like Denise Richards as a nuclear physicist instead? <laughs> yeah. Christmas <laughs> Jones. Well, I'm just thinking Pamela Anderson, you know, she, uh, she can climb out the satellite dish in a Baywatch outfit. There you, know? you go. <laughs> I, I approve of this message. Um, Fling her hair a couple times and get on that dog sled. <laughs> so uh brian recast i'd say that if i i mean if i really had to recast somebody there are about three or four people that um i could see playing jack wade and still being a lot of fun i really like jodan baker but um you know if you'd had i don't know brian cox i i bring brian cox up a lot because he plays a lot of that style uh, piece. Uh, I love the guy. I'm blanking on his name, but I love the guy that plays uh, Felix Leiter in uh, in uh, the Daniel Craig ones. Another thing worth mentioning too is uh, I really thought they were going to stick with the Jack Wade character forever, given that they killed Felix Leiter in License to Kill. I just figured mm. that they'd bring him back and be like, "Oh no, he really wasn't that dead." Well, mm. they could bring him back in the Daniel Craig ones because it's prequels again. Yes, that's true. The name of that guy is Jeffrey Wright. And if I were to recast somebody, it would be Godfrey John. Two first names. <laughs> Two first names. Godfrey John, the guy who plays Colonel Oromov. I'm going to put in Peter Stormare in this. I think he's a better bad guy. And you would know him from Fargo, Constantine, and Armageddon. Best shot, Andrew. For me, um, you know, the epitome of James Bond. The moment uh, he pulls up in his DB5 at Monte Carlo, opens up his center console and he has a bottle of champagne, uh, Bollinger, um, just after he's finished his race with the Ferrari, uh, I just think, and he looks over Monte Carlo, I just think, yeah, I want to be there. Brian, best shot. My favorite shot of this movie is the scene with all of the old, like the junkyard scene of the old communist statues. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, to this to this day, that that scene convene, uh, conveyed such a level of eeriness to me, and also to this day, if I play that level on Goldeneye the video game, it mm. still freaks me out. Like it startles me. 
You know, it's a shame they've torn down a lot of these really wonderful statues, the really great pieces, and they've taken them down. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Quite. Uh, <laughs> One would agree. Um, so my uh, best shot is going to emulate or replicate what Brian did. So I, I'm going to go with the, the statue park as he enters it. The pale lighting from behind, the silhouettes of it. You just feel the cold night in the shot. And it shows the essence of the walls come down and you see this power vacuum emerging. And just to me, that it, that is the feel of the time. That is the feel of the place. And it, I love it. I love it. And the, it sets up the reveal that 006 is Alec Trevelyan. And that's a great twist. That's one of my favorite Bond movie twists. So, um, Well, he knew he was Alec Trevelyan. It, it brought up that he was Giannis. Yeah. yeah sorry. Double, yes. Uh, yes. 006 was... Giannis or Janice and yes when that was Alex Travell and, and yes so and by the way uh the movie was originally written so that uh Trevelyan was an older character they were thinking about having him played by Anthony Hopkins or Alan Rickman and he was a mentor to James earlier in his career and neither of these guys wanted to do it and so they kind of got to the point where they rewrote it and made him more of a peer of James Bond but I don't know whether you guys would have liked that twist a little bit if he had gone mm-hmm. the older route Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. What's your best scene in the movie, Andrew? Best scene, uh, I, I'd have to say, is uh, the moment when uh, James Bond explodes through the wall. You know, he kind of he kind of looks over, sees this tank, and thinks, "Hmm, that's my way of getting out." And just the next thing you know, the wall, the brick wall, just comes down, and he's 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 coming through it. Um, I, I don't think there's a better moment where you think, you know what, that would be awesome. So the tank chase scene um, for you. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Uh, that's a great one. That That's mine as well. And I, I, in a similar one, love when he busts through the Perrier truck and they had all those bottles yeah. of Perrier like <laughs> splattering all over the place. <laughs> Product placement. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, I, I actually like that one, though. It's just like, it's almost like I would have liked it had one guy been like putting the last bottle on the truck, loading it carefully, and then it having gone like busted up. So, <laughs> Brian, what is your best scene in the movie? I don't know if I would really prop it up to be the best scene, but one of the ones that I've always really enjoyed, it's always, always made me smile, is the demise of Alan Cummings' character. When he jumps up and he goes, Yes! I am invincible. Mm. And then he gets mm. hit with that wash of like uh, nitrogen. Uh, yeah. Liquid nitrogen. Yeah, no, liquid nitrogen. It just freezes them in place. That, it made me laugh the first time. It makes me laugh now. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I want that statue, actually. I want that for my desk. Oh, <laughs> like a remake of it, like a model statue. <laughs> that's got to exist somewhere. Andrew already has on his desk the foosball office champion foosball winner on his desk so andrew is our ae7 foosball champion for for this season we'll see how, how long i maintain that title it it, it, it hurt bad because i came in second <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm congratulating him now through gritted teeth um <laughs> so if you had to change one thing in this movie andrew what would what would you change okay so i I had my big one I've already talked about um, uh, was definitely the BMW car. That, that for me, should not have been. Um, it should have been an Aston Martin. It should have done something uh, important. It should have been an integral part of the chase scene or some part of the movie. And they really lost 
um, so something from that. I'm with you. Uh, a chase scene in, in, in Cuba would have been great. So, uh, Brian, yeah. what changed one thing? You know, I, I hadn't thought about it until Andrew brought it up. But yeah, man, I want to see that car in action. Yeah. Yeah. Do something that's, with it. That's You a, know, and, and I'm not going to say that I, I've never made note of that in the past because I knew they never used the Stinger missiles behind mm. the headlights. Mm. But yeah, man, what's up with that? Yeah. I got to say the my number one thing that I want to change is uh while I love the opening title credits with Tina Turner that uh, Bono and the Edge did, I really don't like the rest of the score. The opening scene of the barrel sequence uses a different Bond song. It upset people at the time, and it upsets me now. Like and they later go back to a more traditional version of that later. But it's not just mm-hmm. that. It's the car chase scene that Famke Jansen and uh, Pierce Brosnan are coming down the mountain and Gosh, I mean, I've heard another podcast from James Bond, and great podcast. If you love this episode, you'd like that, too. And um, they they compared the opening of that to the title sequence from Frasier, and it's so right. I mean, it's like, I mean, I almost want to have, like, toss salad, scrambled eggs. Like, it's just, it's, 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 it's strange music, and I don't know, or maybe, like, I don't know. It's I, I can't I can't get on board for it, and I think that such a stylish movie deserves a more stylish score. So, that's my change. One thing. Best quote of the movie, though, Andrew. There's quite a few good ones as usual, um, but I think the best one is when they're. Uh, it's at the end of the movie when they're on the satellite platform, um, and they're suspended over the edge, and James Bond has. Alec uh, Trevelyan hanging from his ankle and Trevelyan asks James, for England, James? And Bond responds, no, for me. And I think it's really powerful uh, in, you know, it, it sort of brings closure to, you know, that that moment where he's like, this guy was my friend, you know, as well as my colleague. Yeah. I'm done with this, you know, and I think I think that's really powerful. Yes. And then he drops a satellite dish on him for good measure. Yeah. <laughs> it's like oh my god they killed kenny no he's okay oh my yeah. god they killed kenny <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah fry what is your best quote my favorite quote from this movie is one of those sexually charged back and forths between him and zinnia uh it's when he's sitting at the baccarat table and says uh i see we share the same passions three anyway and she says, I count who? And he's like, motoring and Baccarat. And he's like, and he loses the hand. And he goes, she says, uh, uh, I hope the third is where your real talent lies. And he just looks up and goes, one rises to meet a challenge. <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> Classic. Uh, that is good. And um, for me, I'm, I'm going to go back to the Q lab with, uh, so, Bond, uh, or sorry, Bond picks up a sandwich expecting, what's this do? And, he, and Q goes, don't touch that. It's my lunch. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. Subway product placement. <laughs> yeah, that was. Yeah. Uh, but I do love the I am invincible one for sure. And, uh, and then as Brian mentioned earlier, I love it when uh, Bond uh, asks him to and he says, uh, who strangled the cat? He was like, that is Helena, my mistress. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Take a break. <laughs> and I just thought one that was so uh, uh, so funny at this day and time. M says, 
unlike the American government, we prefer not to get our bad news from CNN. Which yeah, uh, what oh, president? What what current amazing. president of the U.S. would say that? <laughs> oh, that is amazing. Unlike, <laughs> unlike, unlike the other governments, I don't prefer to get my bad news from CNN. I prefer to get my bad news yeah. from Fox News. <laughs> Fake news. Fake news. Uh, so, five star scale, Andrew. What do you give GoldenEye? Um, I'm going with four stars. Um, it is a great Bond movie. Um, it gives me that uh, nostalgic feeling. Um, but perhaps not as good as the newer ones. Okay. Okay. And Brian, what do you give GoldenEye? I'm giving it a five. I love this movie. Um, we've done maybe three movies so far in this podcast that are just easy rewatches for me. This is definitely one of them. This is, this is a movie that got me into movies. I mean, I'm not going to say it's the movie that got me into movies, but it's definitely one of them. And, uh, you know, like I said, it opened the entire world of James Bond to me. And, uh, any guy who's, you know, really into James Bond has that one movie that that's their favorite. And this is that movie for me. I am just stride for stride with Brian on this one. And mm -hmm. he said everything that I was going to say. It, it's nostalgia. It's, mm -hmm. it's just a really good Bond movie on its own for one. And I am one of the biggest Bond fans you'll find out there. I'm a huge fan of the whole series and I give this one a five. And I love it. Even if you go beyond just Goldeneye, like the the video game franchise, yeah. it was one of the first real party games you can get. You and a bunch of your friends get together and play. I don't know how many game hours we put into Goldeneye multiplayer, mm -hmm. but oh my gosh, it had to have been hundreds and hundreds. The four, four split screen on on one, right? You'd have all your friends over, each have a controller, and you'd all be on that one screen. <laughs> I hate to sound old-fashioned, but like sitting there with a headset and doing this with your friends online just doesn't seem nearly as fun as having a split screen no, of four people and then like not. like punching your friend afterwards, like I stop shooting me when I respawn, isn't like them yeah. laughing at you. I mean, like there's some really fun form of camaraderie to be in the same room together. Yeah, we we kept calling Odd Job the hungry midget as he ran around in slappers only mode. Yep. Yep. <laughs> because he was shorter than everybody else, so every time you smacked him, he is a headshot. <laughs> so, so Brian, you ready to help me pick a movie for next time? Oh, I am. So, next time we're gonna go back to TV series from our childhoods. So the first one's gonna be X Men from two thousand. In a world where mutants <laughs> exist and are discriminated against, two groups form an inevitable clash: the supremacist Brotherhood and the pacifist X Men. Option two, Pee-wee's Big Adventure from 1985. When an eccentric man-child, Pee-wee Herman, gets his beloved bike stolen in broad daylight, he sets across the U.S. on an adventure of his life. It's an early Tim Burton movie as well. Option three, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from 1990. Four Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles emerge from the shadows to protect New York City from a gang of criminal ninjas. Something that I'm desperate for is for the directors who have done such a great job with the Avengers movies to get their hands on some X-Men characters, too, because hands down my favorite Marvel team. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to go with X-Men. X-Men it is. No offense to Brian Singer. OK, well, thank you. Andrew, for coming on the show, we really appreciate it. You added some credibility to us. I feel like having a British perspective really made the Bond talk so much better. Thank you. And thank you, guys. It's been 
and uh, it's been a pleasure being here. And to all the Lords, Ladies, and Knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable, thank you for listening. We invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Engage with us on Facebook. Comment on the shows. Let us know what you thought about the movies. Argue with us. We like that. Subscribe and rate and review to the show on iTunes. Those iTunes reviews help others find the show. They're very helpful. Download the show on Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts as well. Email us at RetroMovieRoundtable at Yahoo.com if you would like to be on the show or if you would like to go into a greater dialogue with us. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Brian? I stuck with Bond on this one. I'll have a vodka martini. How do you take it? Does it look like I give a damn? (laughs) Ladies, please calm yourselves. This is the Scottish sensation, Sean Connery. You probably know me as 007 or as People's Magazine's 1989 Sexiest Man Alive. Honestly, they call each year, and they try and give it to me again and again, but I decline and tell them, give somebody else a chance to win it. When I'm not entertaining the ladies, I listen to my favorite podcast, The Retro Movie Roundtable. If you want to be awesome like I am, give The Retro Movie Roundtable a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcast. Tell movie-loving friends to listen. Like the show on Facebook. Email John and Russell at RetroMovieRoundtable at Yahoo.com I've won many awards, but the shining moment of my career was hearing John and Russell praise my acting performances on Retro Movie Roundtable. I think you'll love the show as much as the ladies love me.